Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of In the Clock End with myself, Kelvin, and joining me this wonderful Monday evening is Liam. Liam, how are you? I'm not too bad, though you have an interesting sense of wonderful, interesting definition. Dollop of sarcasm probably uh, <laughs> you know, dished up with that comment for you, to be honest with you. But if the listeners are wondering why this sounds different, it is because it is different. Stephen is currently having some technical difficulties. He might join us, he might not. To be honest with you, listener, you're just going to have to wait and see, as are we. Uh, and if he manages to get in, happy days. But until then, it's myself and Liam. And we are podcasting on a Monday evening. It's not so wonderful. I was purely taking the piece. Um, but it wasn't a fantastic Saturday evening for the Arsenal. We're here to kind of get stuck into that and, and see what the feeling was like uh, after it. So, Liam, you know, with that in mind, we may as well just get straight, you know, st- stuck into it straight away. Um, lots of things that a lot of us were looking for with this particular fixture, I think that's fair to say. You, you know, the, the narrative going into the game was, you know, is it, it was a, you know, a, a stick for us to be able to, to gauge ourselves and where we're at with our, you know, progress and, and, and the process uh, that we hate to say so often. But that was certainly my... Um, view going into it not so much the result I didn't think mattered too much but it's funny that you say that now and the result probably did matter more than it probably you know most of us probably wanted it to but before we you know get stuck into the you know the the nitty-gritty of this game you know what, what were your thoughts going into it were you kind of similar to everybody else were you kind of looking for a performance you know what what was what were you looking for yeah, Sos Law's uh, that wonderful thing that bites us in the arse. We're not worried about results, and then that happens. Mm. Um, I was kind of looking, I was admittedly also looking to performance. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't. It's mm. kind of like, what, in, in a weird sense, now I think about it, it's like, what's an acceptable way to lose uh, to Liverpool? Mm. Um, I don't want to accept a loss, but in the grand scheme of things, we've got to think, well, if we do lose, we can't really just throw the entire thing away and go, no, that whole nine games previously was an entire fluke. Hmm. So going into it, I did feel, you know what, well, if we can snatch something, I'd absolutely bite your hand off for it right now. Hmm. But if we do lose, I hope we come out of this still with some pride in us and say, well, you know what, we gave that a bloody good go. Hmm. Um, And we'll come on to it and um, later anyway. But you could say in one sense, we really did for 45 minutes. And then we really failed 45 minutes again, another 45 minutes later. The classic cliche, uh, the football cliche came out for us there, didn't it? You know, with game mm-hmm. of two halves. Um, yeah, we really epitomised that on, on Saturday evening. Didn't we just? Yeah. Um, I guess we'll get stuck into the lineup. Or yeah, no. I've, yeah, I was just going to move on to that aspect. Um, what, what did you make of it? I'll throw it straight to you and, you know, we can come back to myself and, and what I thought. But, yeah, what were your thoughts on that uh, starting lineup going into the game? I can't say I was too surprised. Um, hmm. We knew a little bit in advance the party was probably going to be fit enough, so that didn't take me by surprise, really. Hmm. I did think to myself, though, this is probably a Maitland-Niles game, if ever there was one, to partner him instead of Sambi. Hmm. Um, my, my reasoning for it was, well, he had a really good game against Watford. He got mad at the match. Mm. Possibly deserves it, the follow-up start. Mm. If there's any game that Maitland-Niles plays well, it's the games when we're up against it 
a top six team away at Anfield. High that's a game where mate, yeah, that's a game mate the Nars is going to be switched on for mm. against the sort of midfield that that Liverpool possess as well. You need mm. that, you need that kind of bastard in midfield to just run and be a nuisance. Mm-hmm. And just run himself into the ground, and I get the impression Maitland-Niles is more of that than than Sambi is. I thought this would be a game for Maitland-Niles. I feel like after the first half, I felt oh, okay. Well, fair enough. I've been shown Sambi's got something there. He's doing well by the mm. full time whistle. I was thinking to myself, okay, no, I was vindicated, <laughs> um, and I feel like that might be the story throughout, though. Yeah, I think you you're absolutely spot on there. I mean. <sighs> Again, like, you know, it was a performance of two halves from, from Sambi because, you know, I was only, you know, texting Steve before and after the game. And one of the things which, and I don't know whether anyone else felt this, I don't know whether you felt this, but I was obviously watching the game and we must have been about what, 10, 15 minutes in. Now, whether I was away with the fairies or God knows what, which look on a Saturday night is, you know, very possible uh, to say the least. But the one thing that really struck me was I didn't, I knew he was playing, but you know, when you just didn't, you know, you're watching a game. I forgot that Thomas Partey was in that starting 11 about 15 minutes into the game, by the way, which was a bit of a slap in the face because, you know, I thought, you know, Sambi was showing, you know, showing some lovely touches, you know, moving the ball nice and quickly. Um, and, you know, I was happy with him being in there. The one concern I had was Thomas Partey at that point. I was like, whoa, you know, you, you're our. Your main star in that midfield. We and we all know games are won and lost in centre mid. And the fact that we were 15 minutes into a game and I barely noticed him um was was eye-opening to me. You touched on him being fit. And I know that I, I touched on this on a previous podcast, and it was when Kieran Tierney came back. So it must have been what last week or the week before. I can't remember off the top of my head. And I said to you that one of the greatest things that I, you know, one of the best things that I, I like about the current iteration of Arsenal is that we're starting to see a few areas where we don't need to rush players back in if they're not quite match ready. This was one of those games where I saw the news about Partey and I, I, I was, you know, it greeted me with such mixed emotions because I was like, one, great news. You need your best players. But the my mind went straight to immediate fear of him being like, this isn't just any game you're coming back into. This is Liverpool away. It is undoubtedly probably the hardest game this season that you'll have left. I mean, we've already done Man City away. Um, mm. Do I throw Tottenham away into that? Nah, fuck him. Um, so that was my biggest concern was the amount of energy that he would need to, to last the 90 minutes at Anfield away. So I was slightly concerned with that. Obviously, look, I've got no problem with him being put into the 11, but I was slightly concerned. Um the only other slight concern was Tavares at left back, but I think again he, you know, fully justifies his place in the starting eleven. But you know, hindsight's a magical thing. Blah blah blah. Would we have probably been better suited with some experience at left back for Kieran Tierney? It's not as if he would have would have been rushed back. Um, you know, he's been back uh, for a couple of weeks. Uh, who, who knows? I mean, we will never know, unfortunately. I guess that's, that's probably where I'm getting at. But yeah, I mean, the Thomas Partey thing, yeah. yeah. I can see what you're saying with Maitland Niles because, like I said, I think the energy, um, like I just touched on there, you know, there's a lot of raw talent um, in this squad which haven't experienced a game of that magnitude in their careers yet. They might think they have, but they haven't. Uh, you know, yeah. Like, Sorry, well, that means cut across you there. Uh, I think one the of left. the key. 
<laughs> one of the key words you actually picked, you touched on there was experience. And that for me bore out as the game wore on. Mm. Uh, the more the game wore on, the more I looked at it and I went, yeah, you can really, really tell which of these is the seasoned Premier League, ex-Premier League champions mm -hmm. uh, that have been together a long, long time under an experienced coach and know how to play versus mm. a group of very young and inexperienced players doing their best with the talent that they have ultimately could be overawed by the occasion. And yeah. that's kind of what, that's another reason I didn't mention it, but actually now I think of it, Another reason to kind of put Maitland-Niles in there ahead of Sambi. He's 24, let's not forget. He's, he's been around the club a while, been mm. at Anfield, scored at Anfield in the league. Mm. Um, and I think that actually fits quite nicely with the Tierney point as well. In hindsight, as we always say, mm -hmm. uh, actually Tierney at left-back, just that bit of extra experience, just that mm. bit of know-how can go quite a long way. But weirdly, I think that's also a case for Party being in the lineup. Because mm. if we remember, he only missed Watford with what a slight issue, a slight point. They didn't want to risk him. He then missed the international break. Mm. So I didn't feel as risk as much of a risk as maybe you did. Mm. Um, and if he has, so let's say he only had 60 and he only had 80 plus, but if he had 60 minutes, mm. well, perhaps so you do want to start, um, perhaps you do want to start Thomas Party, get a get off on the right foot, and then you can replace him later if you feel you need to yeah no 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 absolutely i completely see where you're coming from there and yeah hindsight is a magical thing isn't it um for the listeners you won't be able to see this but steve has just joined the chat um whether he can actually hear us or not we don't know yet he looks quite confused so i guess we'll find out in the next few minutes so that's the lineup done i mean look i don't think many of us would have had too many issues with it at the time or going into the game you know it's a it's a lineup which is you know, bad fruit for us over the last number of weeks. Um, but yeah, Liverpool away is, is a tricky game. Um, so look, with the lineup done, should we just dive into some of the the key moments, I guess, throughout the game? Um, is there anything notable that you want to talk about? I guess, you know, we, one of the ongoing issues this team has, particularly in the these kind of games, is going forward. You just look a bit blunt. Um we, you know, we're quite solid and, you know, the first half I thought we looked quite, quite good and stupidly, I'm sure a few of us probably did the same. I let my mind wander and thought, do you know what? Half an hour in, this is looking all right. And I thought, you know, we're standing toe to toe with Liverpool here and your mind wanders and you think, can we, can we, can we sneak a goal here? Unfortunately, that didn't quite pan out. Um, we conceded the first goal. Um, what, what were your th thoughts on, on the first goal that we conceded as a goalkeeper? Um, actually, and I'm keen for this. <laughs> I'm actually kind of, if you don't mind, just rewind a second, because actually I think what you touched on in that build-up, I just wanted to mention, I thought that was more Liverpool than it was us necessarily, actually, because I felt we quite often, we go to Anfield or Man City and our, we get one sniff at their box all game. And it might be the first 30 seconds of the game when we try and catch and cold or some shit. Mm. Actually, I thought we did try quite hard and occasionally successfully did manage to get in and around their box. Uh, Saka had an opportunity that didn't really do enough with. Mm. And I did quite enjoy the fact that actually we varied our play quite a lot. It was really noticeable that sometimes we went really long and mm. sometimes... 
we went short and tried to play through them. And mm. I really liked how we varied that up and we said, right, well, we can go both ways. If you're going to press us, we'll go over the top. If you drop off us, then we're going to try and play through you. And mm. we were brave enough to try that. And it was really quite encouraging. Mm. I think the turning point getting onto the goal was the Klopp and Arteta thing, that little instant. Mm. Don't, don't fully know what happened, if I'm honest. Nothing. <laughs> no, it was a bit of handbags, really. It was, yeah. But it was enough to get the Anfield crowd going. And that mm. is all the Liverpool players need for them to get going. But it's all that we needed from mm. an Arsenal perspective to mm. start to become overawed by the, uh, by the occasion. Just before we, we come on to the guy, I think that is a point. Sorry, I did gloss over it, to be honest with you. Look, Steve's not here. I'm not used to doing this hosting stuff. So you're just going to have to make do with it. Um, but the Klopp-Arteta incident at the time did feel very, I don't know, like it, it definitely sparked something. That's definitely how it felt. But, you know, I did listen to the Arse blog earlier, the Arse cast, and I think they made a really good point. And it was, I could definitely understand that narrative if... Liverpool cut us open with some wonderful play to open the scoring. Unfortunately, it didn't. Um, it was a set piece, uh, which ultimately undone us uh, on the evening to open the scoring. And that would be my only small thing. I mean, look, the incident at the time, I've got two, two views on it. And it's one, I love the passion. I'm always going to love the passion and, you know, fuck Liverpool, basically, at this stage. They, they're turning into the modern day Man United for me. But... Um, yeah, I, I just can't see the fact that I think it sparked the game into life. I thought it was a good game in the first half from, from minute one, to be honest with you. I thought the game was good, mainly because we were in it. Um, and there was, always, there was always a chance. But, the, you know, the first goal felt like a bit of a sucker punch, especially when it's come because, you know, at that, at that time, you know, I just allowed my mind to wander to the what-ifs. And, you know, you're thinking, get to halftime at nil-nil, reset because the pressure had definitely started to build. You know, get into half time at nil nil, reset, and let's see what we can go in the second half. Um, so to, you know, to concede from a set piece not long before half time wasn't great, um, and definitely it did feel quite a, like a seismic moment. I mean, the, the stat that came flooding back to my mind at the time was you know Arteta, Arteta's Arsenal being behind at half time hmm. ultimately means defeat for us uh, which isn't fun and um, you know that's that's you know we could be playing Watford away and that you that feeling comes into the when it's Liverpool away it's it's 10 you know it's times 10 right but on the goal itself I mean there's been a few not fingers pointed I think that would be the wrong wrong thing to say and I'll have to caveat anything or our opinion that I have on this particular moment takes absolutely nothing away from from the goalkeeping performance, not just yes, uh, on Saturday evening, but just in general since he's come in as being outstanding. What's your thoughts on it? I have a slightly different opinion because I thought, and we'll come on to it later, but I thought he did worse with the second goal. Um, on the first, mm. I think it, at the end of the day, it bore down to quality. I thought it was a really poor challenge from Aubameyang to give away the free kick and I was irritated that he made that sort of challenge at the time. Mm -hmm. I thought, please don't bite us in the arse. And that, that, I've seen a lot of people criticise Tommy and Gabrielle for their involvement. Mm. I thought Trent's ball into that box was absolutely pinpoint. Mm. And it was the only place he could have put it 
far enough away from Gabriel, but right on Mane's head, and Tommy's going the wrong way, unfortunately. Mm. That's very difficult for him to get in front. It's very difficult for Gabriel to backpedal that quickly mm. and get something on it. Mm. So I thought the ball in was absolutely pinpoint. It was. Perhaps in a few years' time, you gain a little bit of now, so you gain that little bit of extra quality. That means you can actually get around and defend that slightly better. Mm. But and then again, that I can also apply that to Ramsdale because what Mane's done is he's hit that, he's headed it into the ground. Mm. And that's any goalkeeper, or most goalkeepers will tell you, that makes your life really awkward because you can usually judge a ball that stays in the air roughly where it's going. You can't as so well when it's taking a bounce because you don't know if that spin on the ball, mm-hmm. what, sort, what that's going to do to the height off of the bounce. Mm. And that does make it difficult. And it happens at such a pace mm. that I think I'm not going to criticize. Again, like Gabriel, in a few years when he's gained an extra bit of ability, he's, he's got a little bit better in himself. Mm. Um, and he's seen that before. Perhaps he takes a yard back and gives himself an extra couple of milliseconds of um, uh, reaction time to get mm. down to it. Yeah. But I'm not really going to have, I'm not going to criticize for that. I thought it was a good header and a great cross. Yeah, no, it was a, as you pointed out, it was a pinpoint accurate, you know, accuracy cross. It, it's, you know, it's just a case of Mane finish your dinner, right? It's on a plate for you. Um, the only, it's not criticism, it's it's more of a, just something I, I you know, is passing comment. And, and I think it will come with experience. You know, you touched on that, you know, for Tommy and, and Gabrielle, but, you know, Ramsdale's still a pretty young goalkeeper. Um, and I thought it immediately when I saw saw this. I didn't even need the replay. And again, you, you get these things. I'm sure you do. When you watch goalkeepers, you, you kind of know, unless it's a bizarre angle or something that you can't quite make it out. But when I was watching this one, the one thing that did catch my eye was the, the technique he used to try and reach the ball. And this is where I feel that it will work in cir- you know, certain circumstances. And this is probably being really picky. Of course I am. Um, but that's, you know, that's what we're to do, right? So... <laughs> The, the, the one thing, it's the, the erraticness of the arm movement to try and save the ball, which annoys me a little bit as a goalkeeper. Because what I would expect you to do there is, and what I mean by the erraticness is the, the flick of the wrist. Uh, and again, listen to the Arts cast earlier, they said, if he saved this, we're talking about a Gordon Banks-esque save. A la Pelé. We've all known this one where it's down low and he flicks the wrist over the bar. Mm-hmm. Ridiculous, right? But... I don't think it was that kind of save that needed to be made. But it's funny, right? Because I'm going to say this and my mind's going straight towards something else and you'll say it too. And that is if he just sticks the arms out without trying to flick the wrist, just goes down to where that ball is with two hands, he probably could have, even if he has just one, don't flick the wrist, just palm it. Keep it on the floor. You don't need to try and flick it over the bar. I mean, if you did, it'd be amazing. Just push it out. Look, it would be an amazing save and then you need your defenders and this is the bit I worry about when I say this and that's rebounds. But, that you know, goalkeepers need some luck. Luck, sorry. He got that at Leicester, obviously, a couple of weeks ago. But that would be my only small criticism. I do, and he said it himself. Mm-hmm. He did say it was a wet surface, but, he, you know, he's, he's a, you know, a critical lad of his, his own performance. And I agree with him. I do think he would be a little bit disappointed not saving that. Like that, you know, he's top top goalkeeper. Um, I do think if he focused less on flicking that wrist uh, with the erratic arm movement, he might have actually saved it. But look, uh-huh. take nothing. We could have been behind at this stage anyway. So, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely don't disagree. I've just watched it back now as you're explaining to remind myself. Mm. You're right, he does he does sort of flip and pushes on. Mm. And what you're taught as a goalkeeper is push it out the side of the six. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And generally speaking, you're not going to, if you're diving to your left, you're going to try and push it out the left side of your box, not the other direction. So that's why he's trying to flick it. I think you're right. Perhaps actually what he needs to do is just, in the heat of the moment, slow himself down and go, right, well, if I can get my t- uh, my hand on top and behind, I need to just get this ball on the ground and I can actually hold this. Um, not an easy skill to do by any stretch. No. You're right. We're, we're, we're nitpicking a little bit. Enthusiasm is, is a bit of decision-making in the heat of the moment. It should mm. have flipped it out the side of the six or around the post. You should have perhaps have actually, yeah, first, first things first, don't let this ball go beyond me in the goal. I've got mm. to get something on this. I've got to get hands on it. Mm. And if I can flick it around the post, wonderful. If I can't, I'm going to have to deal with that later, which it kind of did in a couple of instances before it, at least. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm glad you watched that back there and saw what I'm talking about. And sorry for any listener who can't visualise what I'm trying to say, but it's, if you watch it back, he does try and, you know what I'm trying to say, it's the, the mm. you know, the, the very over-the-top flick of the wrist. I just thought that was unnecessary, but also I think that's a goalkeeper who's coming from a, you know, if you look at his career, he's you know he's been relegated a couple of times or so, but that doesn't continue. But you know he's he's busy all the time. You know he can probably get away with making that kind of mistake at Bournemouth. You know, or where did we sign him from again? Sheffield United. Sheffield United. Thank you, Liam. Um, or at Sheffield United, you can get away with doing that because you're probably going to go and make another worldy save in two three minutes time, uh, which can be the case at Arsenal, of course. Um, but yeah, I just want to see a little bit more uh, solidity there from your goalkeeper. Um, in that scenario but look again it is being heavily critical of course yeah let's stress this is nitpicking this isn't heavy criticism it's nitpicking yeah exactly exactly but steve is on the podcast guys just so you know he's, he's listening in he, he's on his phone um but one of the things we'll, we'll try and bring him in his audio could be absolutely terrible so listeners steve might be making the briefest of podcast appearances this evening um he, he, Steve was at the game just for context. Um, poor bastard. Um, definitely one trip that I, I definitely don't want to make. I, as I said on our podcast before, been to Anfield three times and seen us get battered every single time. So I know exactly what he went through on, on Saturday evening. So Steve, good good to have you in, mate. Um, thanks for for landing me into to this hosting scenario. Um, blind, no, not prepared. <laughs> if that hasn't come across yet, you'll you'll hear it back when you're editing. But. You wanted to mention, you know, obviously what the atmosphere was like in that famous Anfield atmosphere um, that, that they're so, you know, in tune with. Um, yeah, how was it? What was your, we've, you know, we've covered the first goal lineups. Is there anything you wanted to kind of bring in at this point? If you sound like shit, I'm going to cut you off, by the way. Okay. Okay. How do I sound? Actually, better than you ever do. <laughs> uh, apologies. Um, yeah, my laptop decided to... Um, Break on me. It's gone full Scott Drum Mustafi on him. Yeah. So thank you for uh, stepping in. I appreciate it. It was, um, I mean, what, what's to be said that hasn't already been said? It was a disappointing game. Um, I sort of feel like we expected to lose, but to lose 4 0, I couldn't help but feel a bit disappointed. I felt like at 2 0, we should have maybe adapted our tactics a bit more. The fact that we didn't sort of dig in, we sort of capitulate a little bit. Um, mm. just felt a bit disappointed, disheartened. Listen, you know, it doesn't matter who you lose to, whether you're playing the best team in the world or, or, or not, uh, you're always going to be disappointed with the form of defeat. So, but listen, realistically, we're still fifth. 
And yeah, we, we, and we go again against Newcastle. Came in when you were touching upon, like, the crowd sort of got up a little bit. Mm. I wouldn't even say that. I'd say, like, it really sort of happened when they, when they had a few good chances. Mm. Um, and if I'm totally honest, like, until it went about, until it was 2-0, when they knew the game was over, that's mm. when sort of their fans sort of came into the game. I think they, they I, I switched to Liverpool fans before the game, who were friends of mine, and they were quite worried about it. I mean, hindsight, <laughs> you need to worry about it. Yeah, not much to worry about. Um, yeah, it was disappointing though, wasn't it? it it's like I said, we, we knew we'd lose. Um, even before the game, like, I, I had a few drinks and I, you know, usually I'm quite optimistic, but I, I just didn't think, I just didn't see us um, getting near that goal. And, and we didn't really, we were so blunt at the top. Yeah. I think we did, think we did a massive upgrade up front. Um, senior players, once again, they were missing, you know. Um, yeah, it's one of those, isn't it? We, it's, we, I just, I just think we, we probably can't really dawn it too much, and we have to. Just, uh, we beat Newcastle, well, Newcastle at home. We beat Newcastle, and then, you know, on to on to Man United. A bit disappointed that Ollie's been fired. Um, that was a shame. Yeah, we'll come on to that definitely in a bit. Because um, yeah, that's we'll make it into a certain aspect of the show for sure. It will for me mm-hmm. anyway. Um, but yeah, it's funny you mentioned the, the the atmosphere. This is something I've spoken around. And it's funny because myself and Liam both have a TV perspective of the game. Um, and one of the things that we noticed, or I, I've certainly noticed, is go to any big stadium, unless it's a big game, and no disres- disrespect to us and, and, and Arsenal, it, Liverpool probably don't look at Arsenal as a big fixture at this point in time, which is fair enough, to be honest with you, because there was a period where it's a challenging game, but it's not the, the elite level. So, I mean, you know, go to the Emirates, you know, go and watch Arsenal play. I mean, anybody who if we, if we play. Well, Newcastle. Norwich. Yeah. Norwich, yeah, Norwich. Newcastle. You're not getting a, a raucous atmosphere. You're just not. It's, it's, it's a corporate family. Well, not corporate so much these days, but it's a family day out. Liam, yeah, you want to come in here? Yeah, I think that's a very fair point. I will say I've been in the cop end and it was for a, um, a Legends game against AC Milan. This is... Mm. Five years ago, mm-hmm. I've got to say, the, the, I couldn't hear the other end of the ground, but the cop end is fucking loud when you're in it. Mm. So I do wonder if some of this, coming from someone like Jamie Carragher, who is a Liverpool fan, has possibly been in the cop end at some point or another, mm. probably gets that impression from having been in the cop and maybe mm. it gets its reputation from that. That's one defence I'll give to Liverpool, but you are right. You do, it has to be a bit like... When we talk about Arsenal's best atmospheres, they're usually games against Spurs or a couple yeah. against Man United who've had. Hmm. Not, big, not big against games. the Norwiches. No. Yeah, the big, big games. Um, and that's been the case of football for oh, quite, quite a few years. Uh, you know, the game's gone Americanized. I'm not going to go off on a tangent here, so don't panic too much, chaps. Um, but yeah, the, you know, the game's very much Americanized. You know, Arsenal were heavily involved in, in that transition of English football, to be perfectly honest with you. So we can hardly complain too much. But yeah, I mean, that that aside, the atmosphere, you know, Steve said it wasn't, you know, the, the manager incident didn't make that happen as such. And it's funny because, you know, anybody who's watching on TV definitely felt that. I did. Mm. Uh, um, but it's very easy to, to, to tweak the, the microphones that are dotted around the stadium. It's a yeah. fair comment, actually, because you're right. That Now I think about it, those their goals, uh, not the goals, the, the, the chances they had before they actually... Scored their goal. 
did come around or very soon after that moment on the touchline. So mm. perhaps it's got lost and the narrative has been written already. Um, yeah. And Steve is here to correct us, thankfully. No, but that's that's what you want. You want match going fans have the mm. match going experience. And at home, we have a, a you know a, a vamped up TV experience. Jamie, uh, Jamie Carragher experience. Oh, Jamie Carragher, yeah, Jamie Carragher, yeah, and he's fine until he opens his mouth. But um, see, you did touch on something I wanted to come back to, and it's something which we've spoken about on the podcast before. Something I've been a little bit concerned with. I do think this probably comes back into the inexperienced narrative. But it's something that I'm starting to get a little bit apprehensive about, worried about, not sure what 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 the right word to use would be here. But one of the things with Arteta um, is the in-game management. Um, you know, you were talking about the, the tactical aspect of the game, Steve, which is why I'm sorry I'm thinking about this. One of the things which I'm becoming a little bit frustrated with is the lack of tactical fluidity that we have within our games and the substitutions in which Arteta makes are just very much like for like. Um, we struggle to actually change up the game when the game is in flow. Um, because you look at the substitutions that were made, uh, and again, I have to express, I was bitterly disappointed, but I was quite disappointed with Odegaard's performance again when he came on. I didn't think he did a whole lot, to be perfectly honest with you. But let's look at it. He came on for Lacazette. Look, they're not like for like players, but the positions in which they're playing when they get swapped out, are quite similar. Maybe Odegaard drops just a tiny bit deeper. Maybe. Uh, and then, what was it? You know, there were a couple of other substitutes that were made. Maitland-Niles came in for Sambi. Like for like. There's no tactical change happening there whatsoever. So just on that, is this something which you guys are know? Do you have any opinion on whether this is this is a plan? You know, Arteta is just hell-bent on his... There's one plan and it has to work. Or are you starting to, are you starting to get any concerns about you know, Arteta's lack of in-game management um, and recognising certain certain periods in the game where we might need to change things up. Yeah, I have to be honest, it's been on my mind actually during this winning run, but obviously we're winning, so I'm not going to say it. Hmm. It's been on my mind that usually we, when we've gone in front, we do let other teams back into it a little hmm. bit too easy and we end up on the back foot happened with Spurs, um, it happened with um, uh, Villa to a little bit of an to a bit of an in the Watford game, for sure. The Watford game. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the fixtures, to be honest, more than I'm trying to remember examples. The top, yeah, the Tottenham one as well, I think you can kind of give it... We're 3-0 up, fuck them. We can let them have a yeah. little time. <laughs> yeah, but then when I think about it as well, what I'm sort of going on to here as well, is that actually we started the game on the back foot against Brighton and we started this one on the back foot. And what we really struggled to do, more than anything, is turn the tide back into our favour. And what I always say to my guys, when when it's going against you, what tends to happen is you get the ball back at some point, but you lose it again really quickly and you get wave after wave after wave of of pressure. Mm. At that point, you just have to say, regain and retain. The first five passes are absolutely crucial. Get out of that counter press and start to build your game, start to move your shape, start to move from the four to a three at the back, get into your five lanes uh, of attack and start to build and play your game. But we really struggled to do that on the back foot. I don't see it as a problem from the back. I see that problem is from the front though. Yeah, I agree. And where we said 
I don't think we have a blunt attack. I think we have goal scorers in Aubameyang and, and Smith-Rowe and potentially Lacazette. Saka mm. can create. He scored goals. Even if he's not the best finisher in the world, he does score goals. I don't think our attack's blunt. I think they're just really poor at giving, enabling us to get out of the turn momentum. Because what the problem is, is we try to escape multiple times. I sort of alluded to it a bit earlier. When we try to escape from that Liverpool press, which is absolutely relentless, and they're the best team in the world at it, mm. we had no options to get out. We couldn't. And with Aubameyang up front, you might as well have 10 players to try and get out of it. You might as well be playing with a man sent off. So Aubameyang doesn't offer enough to help us out of those moments. Mm. And, our, our, and our ability to escape, to regain, retain, and then escape so that mm. we can start building our own attacks isn't good enough. And that has been my worry because when we go in front, we then sit back, protect what we have because we've got something to lose and we can't get going again. Mm. Or like Brighton and like today, we start the back foot and we stay on the back foot throughout the entire side of the game. Mm. That's what worries me. Yeah, no, no, I, I can't argue with anything that you're uh, I, anything that you're saying there. But you know, the worries are you know that they're, they're high level worries, right? I'm not losing sleep over this. <laughs> I must point out, but it is you know you've noticed it even in the winning run. You know, it's something that I, I definitely have concerns with. It's you don't really notice it too much when you're winning, right? Um, you know, you did point out a few games there, but you just gets pushed to the back of the mind because you know there's goals to celebrate there's three points to celebrate there's an Arsenal win to celebrate whereas you know losses always come with you know you, you're looking in to try and find out where where it went wrong what are we doing wrong how can we be better how can we compete with you know Liverpool and the likes so yeah Steve obviously you're still here listeners he is still here um, did, you, did you have anything you wanted to add on I know you love talking tactics. It doesn't really. Um, do you have any views on that that you can remember through those? What, what are you trying to say? I'm a, I'm a tactician by, by name, right? Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> as as listeners will know, you know, when it comes to tactics, it's not my forte. Um, but listen, uh, yeah, for me, you know, it was as black and white as you know. We had no, we have no output. Um, any sort of games, you know, when when. The narrative doesn't go go away, and we're trailing against a better team. You know, you may as well raise the white flags. Um, you know, we talk about being blunt. I don't know. I just think we're very underwhelming, aren't we? In games when it's it's not going our way, and you know, regardless of the situation, our set is very predictable in terms of you know who's going to bring on, and you sort of feel like it, it's a little bit hitting hope. Um, I don't want to be too critical because I think you know, we, like Liam said, this is you know, Liverpool are one of the best teams mm. um, at oh, pressing. Nice. You know, it, it's an incredible. It's it, this is going to Anfield anyway, especially with our record. It's such a difficult place to go, um, and and we're not the sort. Of, we're not. I know, I know I mentioned before. We're not the sort of team who actually digs in. We're not a Burnley. We're not a Brighton. We can't. We, that's that's just not the way we are built. We're not built to kind of sit in. Mm. Obviously, you know you need to buy, you need to be diverse and you need to adapt to these sort of games, and I think that will hopefully come with time. Mm. Um, listen, we've got three very winnable games coming up. Take seven points out of that. I think it's looking good, you know. And we go into Christmas in a healthy position. I, I do think we need to stop. I, I really feel like we need to invest in the midfield, and I think we need to make more experience in there. Mm. We're very fit on the ground. Um, part A, 
just seems very underwhelming. Just can't stay fit. And, and you know, whether he's been rushing back into the team or not, I just, I'm not sure what I think about him. Yeah, the party thing's interesting. I think injuries have definitely played a part in his Arsenal career. He's had a very stop-start career. But I think if you had to ask any Arsenal fan, his honest opinion on Thomas Partey today, it's not going to be anything mind-blowingly great. It's, no. it's been, like, I think that is the word. It's underwhelming. It's not... And again, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not here to be critical either because, you know, he's a great player, but it is, it is not working now, one way or the other, whichever angle you want to come at, it's not quite gone the way we probably would have hoped so far. He has, he has a presence in the team in name only. Like, you know, he, he's a name you want to see on the team sheet, but maybe, maybe, he hasn't had the, maybe he hasn't got the right part in it. I don't know. Um, I feel like him and Xhaka do complement each other quite well, as much mm. as, as we don't particularly like Xhaka. Um, they do but, play well together, yeah. Yeah, they do. So, yeah. oh, we'll see. Off, oh, completely off, off tactics, actually. Um, I don't know if I told you, actually, but Kieran Tierney's dad was at the game on Saturday. Kieran Tierney? Yeah, his dad. His dad was there in the concourse. Mm. He was what we were chatting to him. He was, I think he was, he was a bit pissed up. <laughs> Why not? So you two probably had a barnstorming conversation and you can't remember fuck all about it. That's brilliant. Not That's really. Insight for the listeners, that they, is. I had a chat with Kieran Tierney's dad. Can't remember any of it. He had quite a strong Scottish accent. Um, that could be any Scottish bloke, but you were so pissed you believed anything you were nah, talking about. Nah, I looked up a photo and it, it was him. I wasn't, nah, I, 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 had, I had a few drinks, but I remember the game very well. It was um, it was quite a, it was quite a depressing game. I don't know how it came at home, but it, it just was a great like, spectacle. As um, soon as that, it always felt like we were waiting for the score, and as soon as it went one 0 it was game over. Actually, this, this is not going to surprise you at all. I missed the second goal because um, we were, I think, we were in a pie in the concourse. How many goals do you reckon? Right, I'd love to try and find this out for you. How many games have you been to? Versus how many, and then how many goals you've missed from either going for a piece, buying a pie, or getting a pint? Or getting a pint. I missed so many goals. Um, and I, I came back. To, I came back to my seat, and then my mate went, "No, it's two 0 What? Yeah, they scored again. I went, they "Hang on a minute. Yeah. Hang on a minute. So you were joking. Hang on a minute. Many only questions screaming out for me. I'm sure Les is home. Probably. How the fuck did you not know it was two 0 Did you not hear it? I had no. the same question. <laughs> No, and Steph was with me as well. We were in the concourse, doing what you do mm. half time, having a drink and whatnot, having a chat. And then I don't know what you do. I don't know what you'd be getting up to. You miss your mate half time football matches. You know what I mean? And then I was like, I was, I was like, you joking? He went, no. I looked at the scoreboard and went, oh dear. And, and I was oh like, dear. Oh, and that's, dear. That's it. Back down to the concourse. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, you can wow. tell he didn't see how the goal happened by just going, oh dear. No. Oh, a, part, dear. a part of me, a part of me was like, oh, should I go home now? Get get home early, but no, I didn't. I stayed to the end. So, look, we've only managed to discuss one goal so far, so that's great. Um, that You can definitely tell I'm in charge of the podcast this week. So, the second goal, I don't want to talk about goals three and four. They're irrelevant to me. Um, to be honest with you, I missed goal four because I was paying barely any interest in it. And I think I was actually trying to suit up the dog to take him out for a walk because I was pissed off. But the second goal is definitely game over. Um, and it came, you know, not long after, you know, the break. And, you, you know, it's one of those sucker punches, not sucker punches, because it was definitely coming, but it was one of those kind of gut punches where, you know, Steve, you said it, 
game was over at 1-0. Yeah, quite possibly it was. But you're still in it at 1-0. Uh, the second goal did feel that way, though, for me. Uh, there was definitely no coming back at that point. Liam, what did you make of it? Um, I mean, there's a few fingers to be pointed um, for sure. Uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll let you kind of run away with this one as, as best as you want. Yeah, I think the manner really disappointed me because the game might have gone to 2-0 anyway, for all we know. Yeah, but the way we conceded was just, oh, why? As I said before, um, when the game, pre-game, I looked at it and I just went, what's the acceptable way to lose here? Can we go out with our heads held high? And you mm-hmm. don't feel like you can when, right, you've played well. You might have come out of the 4-0, but they could have been sensational on the day and we gave it everything we got. You can't say that when you not only the way we gave the ball straight to Jota in the middle of our, well, not quite the middle, but Mm. in our own penalty box in that position. But when we'd been warned three times before, Mm. nah, come on, learn at some point, you've just got to play it really, really safe. I I speak of um, debit and credit with my guys a lot. And I just say to them, look, there are times when you, when you misplace a pass, you lose a point. If you start finding yourself going into minus points, you've got to get yourself back up out of debt and into credit so that you can start expanding your game again. Because mm. until you simplified it, once you've lost a few passes and you lose your rhythm, you've got mm. to find it again before you can start trying things, yeah. such as no-look passes backwards towards our own goal. Mm. And then... Was it White or Gabriel? I can't remember which of them went diving in. And then Ramsdale went... Both of them, no. <laughs> possibly, possibly. I can't remember without looking. I don't want to see it again, if I'm honest. I'm not going to make you watch it again, you're right. No, but, and then Ramsdale disappointed me. I think in that position, you're square middle of the goal. You've got to force your, your opponent to do something. You don't go early. And he mm. goes seconds early. Not, not just a split second too early. He's dived to his right, uh, his left, sorry, got himself really, really small as mm-hmm. well. Which is something, to be fair, we give him credit for a lot of the time, is he's good at well, making himself big. Yeah, that's what annoys me as well, is that he's so good. But in the heat of the moment, mm. he's made himself small, he's dived left, he's gone to ground, and mm. not just his, his whole body's gone to ground. It's not like he's kept anything up. And Jota can just look at it and go, oh, okay, I'll go around I'm, you then. I literally walk um, around, yeah. Yeah, that just everything about the goal was everything I never wanted to see at any point of this game. And it's, that's what disappoints me. Yeah. Steve, anything on the second one? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see it live. Didn't see it. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm pulling your piece of there, mate. It's a shame because, <clears throat> sorry, if we are 1-0... You've got a fine chance. And if you can sort of ride that first 10, 15 minutes, get the hour mark of 1-0, mm. there's always, you know, it's the hope that kills you, right? But no, as soon as it's 2-0, it, you know, it's done and dusted. Um, yeah, disappointing, isn't it? Disappointing. Yeah, it is disappointing. Uh, and like I said, I, I, I'm not really going to get stuck into the rest of the game. We've been waffling about the, the game for, for quite a bit. So I'll just open it up to both of you before we move on to on this day. Um, is, there, is there any other business or any other things, topics you wanted to kind of go through about the match? I mean, I, I've got one small one that I'll throw into you, and that is we have talked about it. And again, don't want to be the guy that constantly berates him, but 
Aubameyang for me is, is 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 poor up top. Yes, you can look at the lack of service, of course, um, but this isn't the only game where you you've seen an Aubameyang performance like this. He had a, a relatively good chance in the second half, which he scuffed, in my opinion, and it was saved by Allison's right leg, possibly. And it was one of those where I thought if you just connect with it properly with your laces, get a little bit of height on it, it probably would have found uh, the far the far side of the net. Again, it's being critical uh, of a player who's in no sort of form, to, uh, in, in my personal opinion. So, uh, you know, unless you want to talk about Aubameyang, Steve definitely does by the looks of it. Either that or he's showing me his sex face. I don't really know. Um, bit of both, what, mate. Bit of both. Bit of column A, bit of column B. Um, we love a bit of column A, column B, especially when we talk about the uh, time of day and the evening and afternoon. <laughs> you know. Um, I, I just... Like I said before, we we need an upgrade in that position, and I, I'm I'm sick of people like talking about, you know, what he brings to us as a captain, and um, you know, the people talking about you know, oh, his energy off the ball, and he's really stepped up his game, and I'm like, are we are we watching the same thing here? Because I, I think he's bang he's bang average, um, and and we've talked about it off podcast before, and you said to me like, it's sort of like the missing piece. You know, for our team, we need an upgrade in that position. He's just not cutting it anymore. I think we all buy into the idea of Aubameyang. We 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 like his uh, his attitude, and you know, he's he's uh, he's very charismatic. Mm. Um, but apart from that, you know, he's he's so average. Like he is average. Like if you sort of look at like the top six teams in the Premier League, so let's say that City, United, um, Liverpool. Um, I don't know, you could argue Leicester. Really, forget current form. Tottenham, maybe West, and then West Ham. Okay, don't mm. quote on those six teams. You know, I guess you could ch- you could trade a few in and out. Mm. Would he get into any of those six teams? If you look across the board, they've all got better strikers than us. Um, you know, I mean, even Man United, even with Man United, with Cav- the likes of Cavani, he needs about seventy two, and he's still you know doing an absolute job. I mean, I mean, Man City haven't even got a striker. And I think they are, and there's so much more de- de- like deadly in that final third. Liam's definitely going to agree with me just because he loves to disagree. On, I'm, just, I'm glad you brought up City. The reason why is because I think he's a Man City type striker. I, th- I, I somewhat agree with you in the sense of what he's doing, for what we're asking him to do, he is bang average at. What he's elite at suits a team like Man City. Always box. have the ball, are always in the box, are always sniffing around, sniffing out chances mm-hmm. and sniffing opportunities. We don't do it enough and we don't play to his strengths. So, of course, he looks bang average for us. I think he's the wrong player or, mm-hmm. the, or a player that's just in the wrong team. Um, mm-hmm. we, we do need an upgrade, uh, an upgrade on a striker that can do the things that we're asking them to do. And by that, I mean turn, when, when the chip's down and we've got to turn the tide in our favour. Someone who can just get on the ball, have some technical security, mm. now to be able to play the right pass at the right time mm. to allow us to escape. Because at the moment, we don't have, when, as I said before, it's like playing with 10 men at times with mm. Aubameyang out front and we're, we're under the posh. Because we've got no one to get the ball up to and that's secure enough, enough on the ball. Because he, he's done it on occasions, mm. but it's not enough. So it's not secure enough for us to escape out of those moments and start to build our own momentum and, and swing the game back in our favour. Yeah. So don't, I don't worry about him as a player. I think he's a perfectly good striker. Perhaps he's, he's tailing off because he's towards the tail end of his career. Mm. Yeah. But I think we just need a different striker uh, that can do the things we're asking 
better and more consistently. Yeah, I think you've made a great, great observation there. And that is he is being asked to do far too much. It's just not part of his game anymore. It might have been once upon a time. I, to be honest with you, I don't really watch the, the Bundesliga that often, so we're not going to sit here and pretend like I know it inside out like like some people do. I'm not pointing at any fingers in the podcast here, by the way. You talk about, you know, he's a Man City player. Listen, I'd score 10 goals a season in their team. You know, they've got that. They've got that. <laughs> Emil Heskey can come back retirement and score 20 of the season in that team. Mm. I also don't think he'd actually even get into the City team because Pep demands so much from his players and he's quite lazy. Um, no, I'm not saying he'd necessarily get in that squad. I think Liam's just saying that he he would probably get you get better results out of an Aubameyang being in a Man City team than what you would over an Arsenal team, which I we, we, definitely see. We may as well have stuck an ironing board up front on, on Saturday for what he was worth. This, this is my point, though. You might as well, because as I say, it's like playing with 10 men. We're asking yeah. him to do things he just can't do um, or can't do well enough for us at this level yeah. that we want to compete at. And mm. um, yeah, it, it, Calvin, you, you absolutely hit the nail on the head with my point. I'm not saying he would get into Man City's squad necessarily, but that sort of possession oriented team that's always in and around the box, mm. by God, he'd love life there at City. Of course he would. I don't see any loss of pace, any loss of speed, any loss of sharpness. Like that volley that he scored, oh, which what game was it? It was a volley that he scored from the left hand side. It was a bit of a tight angle. And he reacted superbly to get on the end of it and then direct it in the goal. Yes, it was a follow-up goal. Um, it was a rebound. What game was it? Yeah. Not, was it not a League Cup? Was it not a League Cup don't, game? Don't think it was. I don't. I might be wrong there. But that goal, if any of the listeners know which one I'm, I'm talking about, as I'm no, now googling no, it. it yeah. But that that's a striker that's sharp focus mm. and still got his wits about him and still has in, the technique to guide it on target in the box yeah in the box in the box because so there's still a striker in there I just it's not for Arsenal it's just yeah. we need a combination of Lacazette and, and Aubameyang with Erdegaard behind them that's what we need yeah. in reality yeah in reality we have to fit all three into two positions and we need one of the a, one of the players in that position to be good at both things. Yeah. So we at the moment we're going Lacazette and Aubameyang, but when we lose Lacazette and put Erdegaard in, we lose mm. a bit of what Erdegaard, um, uh, what Lacazette brings. If we have Erdegaard and Lacazette, we, look, we probably miss a bit of what Aubameyang brings. Mm. So really, we need a combination of them up front with Erdegaard behind them. Absolutely. Yeah, if you could put them in a blender and then make another human being mm. um, who's 10 years younger, that'd be absolutely fantastic. We'd have our striker in January. You know, I think um, you know, the, the, the old old problem with, with Aubameyang, and, and I'll probably finish on this point, is something I've said to, to you, Steve, you know, before we even started doing a podcast. My biggest concern with him is, and it was something which I, I'd noticed for a long time, is Aubameyang has always been seen as this elite level striker, you know, one of the best in Europe but never actually made it to the very peak of European football, in my opinion. You know, you could, you could argue Dortmund are a bigger club than Arsenal. I'd say they're probably quite similar in football in terms, not global reach and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, why did none of the likes of Real, Barca, you know, these top, top level, you, you could even throw United City, Chelsea, or even Arsenal back in the day. Why did he never make it to that level? And it's purely for this this reason, if you actually take Aubameyang's goals away, um, there's not a lot left on your plate to work with um, or to finish. So, yeah, it's frustrating. 
we're asking too much of him. Um, we're not playing to his strengths necessarily, and it's ultimately showing in his performances week in, week out. So, in summary, Liverpool, eh? Bag of shit. Uh, and I think we're probably best just to leave that there. And move on to Newcastle away, uh, where, we look, I think we'll all agree we need to see a response. Um, I think we can all compartmentalise the result against Liverpool as much as it probably hurt us a little more than we wanted it to. Uh, that's life. So, listeners, it looks like there won't be an on this day um, for me to quiz both Liam and Steve this week, or Steve quiz me, however which way around you like it. Um, Liam is off to do some AED training at his local football club, and there's absolutely no way we're going to step in the way of that. And Steve, well, you know, as, as I pointed out earlier, has been having technical difficulties and has disappeared, and he's probably floating in the abyss somewhere. But just if you want to play along for yourself at home, the on this day we we're going to cover was back in 2005, where the mighty Arsenal defeated FC Tun away from home in the Champions League. What a magical competition that was for us once upon a time, eh? Uh, so if you want to play along, pause it now. I'm going to read it out, the starting 11, shortly after. Um, so, yeah, you can jot it down, think it in your head, or just play along as I scream them out. So Arsenal's number one that day was everyone's favourite goalkeeper, Manuel Almunia. At right back, we had somebody who had a calamitous substitute appearance once upon a time, but totally redeemed himself. Um, and if those of you are old enough to remember... I always say that in the dumb and dumber voice. But anyway, it was Emmanuel Albuet. Emmanuel Albuet. Jesus Christ, I can't speak today. Our centre-half pairings were Sol Campbell and Philip Sendros. We also had Pascal Seagan playing. And to be honest with you, because this website is so old, it doesn't give us a formation. So pick you. Who's playing left-back out of that lot? Please send your answers in on a postcard. Midfield consisted of Freddie Jumberg, Alex Song, Matthew Flamini, and Jose Antonio Reyes. And up front, we had the wonderful combination of Thierry Henry and Robin Van Persie. The Arsenal substitutes that day were Mark Poom, remember that lad, Robert Pires, Laurent, Fabregas, Lord Bentner, Johan Juru, and Anthony Lupoli. One of the few Italian players to have made it into an Arsenal starting eleven. Who's the other one? I'll just leave that one open for you. So that's on this day. Not quite as entertaining as it usually is. But as always, we just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the podcast. And we hope you've enjoyed it. If you have enjoyed the show, please do leave us a review on Apple and Spotify. We greatly appreciate it. If you would like to follow any of us on any of the social media platforms, you can do so. Steve, he can be found on Twitter and Instagram at in the clock end. Myself, you can find me on Twitter at underscore the arse underscore or on Instagram at the Arsenal shirt. And Liam, he can be found on Twitter at Groningguner. So on that bombshell, it's time to end the show and we look forward to catching you after Newcastle at home. But until then, look after yourselves, look after each other. Take care. Goodbye. Goodbye.